Welcome back to the Traders Network Show and our continued coverage of Humanity 2.0. I'm Matt Bird, broadcasting worldwide from Rome, Italy, for Equities.com and our syndicated partners. Our next guest is Father David Nazar. David is the president of the Pontifical Oriental Institute. He is a Canadian Jesuit born of a family of Ukraine origin. David is also the former superior of Jesuits in Ukraine and former provincial of the Jesuits in the English Canada Providence. Did I get all that right? You did. Well, listen, David, welcome to the show. Thank you very I, much. I appreciate you. Thanks Thank for coming you. down here. Sure. You know, David, I, uh, I, we had a chance to get together yesterday at, at the Humanity 2.0 uh, event, which was, was, was prolific, uh, to mm -hmm. say the least. There was a, a tremendous amount of influencers and uh, a lot of content and a lot of great ideas that were, that were shared. And I really appreciate you taking the time to sit with me here. Pleasure. It's in, pleasure. in your house. In your house, That's actually. Sure. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I uh, had a chance to, um, to ask some people, and, and I have asked a few people what they, if they could describe you. Um, how would you describe? Uh, well, I'd have to call my mother <laughs> to answer that question. And, and this is what they said. David, you are determined, serious, playful, mischievous, unstoppable, <laughs> a power of a force of nature, and a visionary. Would you say that's right? Well, I can see where people would say that in certain <laughs> aspects, but I, I don't think I'd use those. Uh, again, I don't think my mother would recognize her son by, by hearing those words. But I can see that because uh, we're in the world that's, got, that's on the move, and you've got to be on the move. Mm. So you've, you've got to stay up with things. You've got to see how do we integrate what's going on in the world today here in a teaching mm. institution, in the way we operate, in our administrative structure. How mm. are we understanding the world? So yeah, you've, if, you, if, you're, if you're not moving, you're dead. Well, I, and speaking of moving, so you know what I like to do is give give our audience a little bit of, of a look in, into your life because you've gone on an incredible journey, you've gone around the world. I think you, you, we talked briefly twice, um, but your journey and the path to where you got now mm -hmm. and the influence you have and what you were doing in, in your term here, um, you it's taken it's taken you a lifelong taking a lifelong journey to get here. Mm -hmm. Tell us where where did it all start? Well, the one key thing is growing up uh, ethnic in, uh, at that time it was quite a British-dominated Canada. So I was born in 1952, and the ethos in Toronto where I was born and raised was, was still very much uh, British. So we mm. learned British history instead of Canadian history. Uh, British immigrants felt themselves at home, but uh, so many immigrants came to Canada after the Second World War, Italians, Croatians, Poles, Ukrainians, and we belonged to one of those sub-communities. So my experience was always growing up in two cultures, mm. and you have to know the language. By language, I mean the subtext of, of each language and how, for, how to operate in two worlds. I remember a crazy experience. I think I was in the second grade, and I still had Ukrainian words in my English vocabulary, and I said something to one of the classmates, and he didn't understand. And it was the first time I really realized I have two cultures going mm. on in me, and even, even two languages. In some ways, that became thematic uh, for me because it was an awful lot of the immigrants who built the country, even though the, the history books at the time spoke about the original uh, peoples, the French and the uh, and British. I then worked with Native people. After I entered the Jesuits, I worked with Native people. And it was just easy for me to enter into their culture, a different world. It's the same human experience, but you put the pieces together differently. There are different points of interest, different points of emphasis. 
For them, community, spirituality were so strong. In the dominant society, it's individualism, it's getting ahead, it's defining yourself. And you realize that life is an awful lot bigger than my limited experience, you know? And that only continued uh, through life. So going to Ukraine or coming here to Rome, that adaptation piece for me was always very easy. So if you look for one kind of leitmotif or one kind of thread through my life, it's going into different cultures and finding out how they work and operate, which I think is significant for today when the whole world is going through so many changes. How do you find those threads that give sense to what you're doing and still accept change and movement forward? Have you ever felt that there's something driving you? To be honest with you, I, I would have to refer to the faith aspect. We grew up in a very Catholic family, but I don't want to overstate that. It was the time when everybody was going to church in the 50s. Then the 60s mm. came and nobody was going to church. And I remember I was always good in school and I had no difficulty deciding on any kind of profession. But when I got to university, at the University of Toronto, I realized something deep in me didn't know where I was going. And I could do all the subject materials, but I didn't know where I wanted to end up. So a friend of mine, we took second year off university and we traveled through Europe for a year. And that was what gave me some freedom to say, what is my life really about? And the God questions came back and uh, I just had the sense that I better resolve this now rather than look back 10 mm. years from now. And so the, the notion of being a priest, I entered the Jesuits and just a world opened up for me. Mm. So again, that's been like a guiding thing for me. Uh, it's also given me a lot of freedom. So uh, I, I'm not worried about if I'm going to live or die, if I go to work in this place or that country or whatever situation, because you've got the sense that God is calling me there or God is walking with me, or we're gonna figure this out together. But there's a sense of a real security. Not, that's not to say there's no danger or no problems, but a real sense of, I can walk through this and we'll figure it out somehow. Did you think through the journey that you were going on, you would end up here at the Vatican in Rome? No, I, at, at a certain stage, I had a big uh, sense that I would wind up in another country. <laughs> Only because the world was getting smaller and uh, we're kind of well-educated or well-trained and I could speak a couple of languages. And to be honest with you, when uh, the first real intuition of that came when the, Un the Soviet Union collapsed. Because mm. being of Ukrainian origin, and there you have the Byzantine church, and it's not the Latin church, I spoke some Ukrainian. I expected a phone call saying, uh, the church is, is operative now in Ukraine. We want you to go back. We want you to go there because you know the culture, the language. And nothing happened for 10 years. Wow. Then when it happened in 2002, I was asked to go and to be the superior of the Jesuits in Ukraine and start uh, some, some projects and all. So, um, so yeah, the whole thing of, of, again, adapting to cultures, you're going into a new place, uh, my background, I feel, prepared me very, very well for that. But I really don't even know what's going to happen two years from now. I could wind up in Africa or in New York working at the United Nations. It just depends what emerges. Do you have, uh, and you know, as have you gone through obviously many different cycles um, to get to where you're at today, um, career and personal, interpersonally, are there certain things you look back on now and go? Those were really pivotal moments in, in, in through, through. I would say that that's really everything. You know, I, uh, there's a funny way in which you arrive someplace in your life and then you realize how important this or that was in your past that you didn't really, mm -hmm. weren't really taking account of when you were there. 
So I, I can name some things, for example, when I worked with uh, the Ojibwe Aboriginal people in, on Manitoulin Island in Northern Ontario, they have such a deep sense of community and a deep sense that a certain spirit infests everything, is in everything. And you have to walk through life with great respect, always seeking reconciliation and forgiveness with other people. And even as I say those words, they sound like charming words, but they're not very strong in, say, dominant North American society. And you find that your heart is opening up or something in your very self is opening up by being with these people, by being in another culture. All the administrative experience I, I found as provincial in Canada. Then you go to Ukraine, and it's another culture, a slightly different emphasis of things. And what those people are doing are bringing out all sorts of things that are in myself mm. that you kind of didn't know were there. Mm -hmm. The playfulness uh, that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> the uh, not taking everything so seriously. Mm -hmm. You're going to make a difference, but you're not going to change the whole world by tonight. You mm. know? So can you have patience? Can you forgive yourself? Can you let go of your own presuppositions? And then coming here, now there's a funny way in which the community work with Native people, the administrative work that I did in Toronto, the uh, other culture experience mm. in Ukraine are all very precise preparations for being the, the president of this university, wow. but I could never have planned that. Yeah. So. Is there anything that you, if you look back, obviously you're running a university uh, and you, you, it's a graduate school. Um, actually, do you want to tell me, tell us a little bit about, about Sure. This, this is a graduate school. It's highly specialized. It deals with what we call the Eastern churches. So the dominant Catholic church in the world that you see in most Western countries is the Latin rite of the church. People just accept it as the Catholic church. But in fact, when you go to uh, everything from Russia down to Ethiopia, from southern Italy over to India, you have all these Orthodox and Catholic churches mm -hmm. uh, that come from the earliest periods of the church, from gospel times, really. And they've articulated the same faith in a different way. So what this uh, institution here focuses on is all of those other churches that aren't the Latin church. Mm. So there's an extraordinary library. There's students from all of those countries, quite a mix of cultures, 40 different countries that are here. And it's, many of these are the suffering countries now, all the countries of the Middle East. We have students here from Baghdad, from Syria, from Egypt, many students from Ukraine. And how do they, how do they, how do they find their way here? They find their way here because there are few universities. In fact, this is the only university in the world that studies all of the Eastern Rites. Oh, is that right? So it studies the churches, but you can't study a church without studying the context. So it studies the politics. It studies the literature. We have an extraordinary collection here of, of Arabic literature, for example, from the 9th, 10th, 11th centuries, when Baghdad was the Paris of its time. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a little anecdote, for example, so you had Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, and Muslim scholars all working together. The Christians had translated Aristotle from Greek into Arabic, and they find that Arabic is an extraordinary language for philosophy. What they begin to, to talk about, what is the philosophy of the state that we should have? They agree that it should not be religious, that a political leader should be a different, different from a religious leader. I think that's hard for us to imagine today when we hear of all of what's going on in the Middle East and uh, the Caliphate and, and Daesh or ISIS, all these things. But those were real thoughts, mm. real worked out thoughts and systems in the 10th century. So partly what students are doing here is going back to the manuscripts mm. to figure out what they should be today, but based on histories of their own culture. You know, I don't want to get into the complexities uh, of that stuff, but it, it, it does, it does you know, bring up a few questions of what, what happened? What, what's happened? Um, 
it seems like we've gone through a transformation of, um, on some level, an agenda-based transformation, whether it be commerce-driven, whether it be power-driven, um, um, and maybe it's a conversation for another time, but uh, um, what, what happened with the, the fundamental um, ideal of where all of this started and where it's at now in this region? Well, I, I think there's more positive uh, in the very question that you're asking than there is negative, because times of change upset people but times of change are equally opportunities. And what are we seeing now that we didn't see when, when all of us here were, were e children even? The world is not unified by a certain set of values. Mm. Uh, a nation is not unified by its own history and culture. Everything is intercultural. Everything is interglobal by travel, by internet, by information. We see a revolution happening on the streets of Tehran while it's happening. We're getting Twitter information while the thing is going on. And that affects mentalities. And so you see that very quickly, if I again speak of cultures, that people have different ways of organizing their worlds and realities. Mm. And we're aware what we grew up with is no longer satisfactory. So how are we creating, how are we moving towards new values, um, new integrations of, of a global society? So Brexit has its, is its expression mm -hmm. of the frustration uh, the American system right now is going through, uh, going through a crisis. France has its issues. Greece has its issues. Not to mention the Middle East, Ukraine, and Russia. A nation state is not what it was 100 years ago. So how do we find our way as a global community in this new reality? It's exciting, and it's nervous. You know, I think yesterday we, we, were, we touched on what's going on in our schools and what should be happening at home and where we're getting the fundamental moral or ethical directions. And, um, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate these waters a little bit, but uh, um, it seems there's been a, a little, there's been less home integration and direction than there has been in the past with, their ch with children. And teachers have been stepping up, you know, not in necessarily a bad way, but trying to fill that with, with their own. You know where I'm going with, uh, with sure. all this. Well, let, let me just jump in, because uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the questions are, are directions. For example, <laughs> when I was a kid, you got beat at school. And if your parents know that you got beat at school, your parents beat you again. Right. Uh, or if, if you got, uh, did something crazy on the street, even a neighbor could whack you in the head. And then your parents whacked you again. That's you right. <laughs> Whereas, uh, then when I was around the time of high school, if, you, if your teacher dared to hit you, your parents were there to beat up the teacher, so to speak, mm -hmm. speaking figuratively. And so, so many things like that have changed. There's so many different kinds of values. The values that our parents had or the values that I had 20 years ago are a little bit different right mm -hmm. now. I remember about 30 years ago, sociologists were saying that a new generation rises every seven years. Today, a new generation rises every three or four years. And we have names for the millennials and Generation X and Generation Y, and we're naming these things every five and 10 years. That's talking about a different set of values. Mm -hmm. Now, I think one of the great things about the meeting yesterday is that people realize that to organize a social response or society, we have to go back to some kind of common set of values. So this, this kind of murky globalization period that we've been going through is now returning to what are we really about? What, is the, what are the things that bind us together? Because we've got to be bound together if we're going to move things forward. And the conversation is moving towards that in the United States, in England, 
in independent countries, and that's where it's got to go. You know, I, I think the glue that's 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 pulling that or, or making that um, uh, kind of a, a solid thought process right now is that I think when you start seeing social media is kind of a false friend. Um, you know, the thing that's actually creating all the plethora of all, all this information, validating some thought leadership is not really solid, that's not really right. there for you. And so when in times of need or help, you know, the people that would support an, an idea or, you know, a thought, um, they're just, just the fundamentals just aren't, aren't there. And so it's it, it, kids, I think this, this, and I see it with my children, they're coming back home and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and looking for guidance and, and uh, um, well, I would say so are the parents. So the because parents. today, one thing we find is that the parents don't have the answers mm. because these are these are major cultural movements. So the parents are responsible for a certain wisdom, mm -hmm. a certain experience, having made their mistakes or having had their, their successes, and transmitting that wisdom, the fruit of that, uh, to their kids. But their kids are going to live in a slightly different reality than than their parents. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I can say that even in my family, where there are nine children. The oldest in the family could decide their careers in a way that the youngest couldn't. Mm. Uh, and that affects everything. It affects marriage, it affects relationships, it affects uh, job security, it affects education, you know. So they're massive changes, but to me they're filled with hope, they're filled with possibilities. So we have students here, for example, there's one girl from Baghdad. So she's born in 1981, so she, she's 38 years old. She's been through four wars. Mm -hmm. She is full of joy, she's a gem, she's anxious to get back after her doctorate here to, to rebuild Baghdad and to rebuild Iraq. Those, those are people, where does that life come from? Like if she was depressed and getting psychiatric care, you would understand that more quickly. But what is her that gives her hope and joy in the mess that she's gone through? Those are the kind of, I would call them prophetic voices that we have to listen to that will give us all some direction in the things we're going through. What kind through. of advice would you give the new parents today and how to, how to you know, not necessarily raise their children but give them the guidance and support they need so they're not searching elsewhere for it? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any option but searching. In fact, I would say something like this, mm. that the holiest thing we can do is to search. Mm. It's the holiest thing isn't to have answers because as you're saying about social media, Whatever is promising an answer today won't be the answer for mm -hmm. tomorrow. And so this whole thing of we're all on a journey, we're all searching. Mm -hmm. Even you could quote uh, Jesus uh, from the scriptures or any of the major religious traditions that life is a journey, life is a pilgrimage. Walk this way, but walk with me and we'll find this out together. No magic, but a certain kind of honesty about what I'm doing, a transparency about it, but it's the search that makes us holy. I want to take a minute. Uh, we're going to have some sponsors on a commercial break. When I come back, um, I'd like to ask you some, some personal questions. Very good. Let's get to know you a little bit more. We hear uh, you're a bit of a health enthusiast and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and a musician and other things. We'll talk about that when we come right back. Very good. Sounds Very good. good. We'll be right back after this message. The 2019 Humanity 2.0 Forum is brought to you by Cisco Systems, CSR solutions that are accelerating global problem solving in ways that have never been attempted before to Ulala, providing mobile blockchain solutions for the unbanked, and to PledgeCamp, the next generation of crowdfunding. A special thanks to Tonico in Vatican City for hosting our program. And lastly, special consideration to Burst IQ, a leader in healthcare and blockchain, to Crown Sterling, the leader in digital sovereignty and quantum encryption, to Dignity Health, delivering high quality and affordable healthcare for all. And lastly, to Falcon Ventures, as transformative as our entrepreneurs. 
And thank you, one Hair Public Relations, for all your PR and media support. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away.